Hey, what's going on, guys? This is Marcus Paspitz with RioMax, and thanks for tuning in to the RioMax Tailgate Talks podcast. Today on the podcast, we have an audio excerpt from one of our past webinars. Ed Park um, from Tullaby Lake, Alberta. Um, Ed, would you be willing to share with us uh, your story and, and how, uh, first of all, what your operation is like, and then also how you started on RioMax? Sure. Um, you hear me okay? Yes, we can hear you loud and clear. All right, good, good. Uh, well, uh, with my family, we run a bunch of cows and calves along the North Saskatchewan River, just straight north of Lloydminster. I'm uh, just in Alberta, uh, four or five miles from the border. Uh, we have a very varied landscape. Uh, we go from uh, the big south-facing slope along the river in the river valley. We've got a couple miles there where we have short grass, blue gamma grass, cactus, uh, to not far north of here, we start getting into the boreal forest. So we have some lakes and muskeg and all kinds of uh, different kind of land. We uh, we got into corn here back, started in the year 2000, and that was a big game changer for us. The guy that sold me my first bag of corn seeds said that uh, uh, corn would be to the cow-calf uh, operator in Alberta with canola was to the grain farmer. It's a Cinderella crop. So, so uh, my oldest brother was in the machinery business. He had a farm machinery dealership and was making lots of money and I was spending lots on machinery. So I was determined to make a living without uh, having to buy too much machinery. I switched to corn. We basically grazed our cows through the winter, all winter pretty much on corn. Uh, when um, we, we we do keep the calves over. We calve in May and June. We uh, background them over the winter and grass them through the summer and sell long yearlings in the fall. Uh, for a mineral package, we we got into the tubs. Um, I can't remember when, Vanessa. <laughs> I think uh, somebody come up here from Maple Creek and, and got me into it, and we. We, we used them pretty regular for quite a few years uh, on the corn um, or the cows. Uh, when I got in trouble was when I quit using them. Uh, I guess you know the story back a few years ago. For whatever reason, I didn't get tubs out in the fall, and I run into lots of coccidiosis problems in my calves. I would turn the cattle into the corn. And here I had sick cattle and calves out there in that corn and didn't know it and couldn't find them. So. We've got some other tubs from a local dealer, uh, just uh, a master feeds tubs, and it helped the coccidiosis, and I uh, stuck with them for about a year. And Vanessa uh, come and uh, said, you know, what did you change? And I said, well, these other ones are cheaper. And, and Vanessa said, but how much do you use? And she challenged me to try the uh, go back to trying the Rio tubs. Uh, and she said, you might find they use less, and uh, your costs uh, will be, uh, you know, the same or, or or less, and, and Vanessa was right. We found out immediately uh, when we put those tubs out with the calves, uh, they, they were quite a bit less. So um, we've been very happy with the tubs, and I, I, I'm influenced a lot by a book I read quite a few years ago, Cecil Anderson. Arnold Dirksen might know Cecil Anderson. Uh, give me a book by a, a Texan uh, who went to, went to Texas right after the American Civil War, but he summed up his he ended up with acres and acres of ranch down there. And he summed up, he said, I find it much easier to work with nature than against it. And uh, 
you know, when I listen to these uh, uh, descriptions from uh, Mr. Ward about the, uh, the the things in the in the soil and the, and the cow's gut being much uh, related, it, it it just makes sense. It's 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 a natural thing. So um, we we uh, we find that the tubs work well. I, I find it hard to measure. Um, when I'm grazing corn, I'm to measure the savings on the feed um, because it's not like a bale, you don't measure it out there. Uh, so, but I do believe it. I do believe it. I watch the manure closely. And uh, so uh, we pasture our cows during the summer on native pastures and uh, the yearlings stay on cane pastures, good farmland uh, that uh, we run the yearlings on and uh, they do well there. But one of the things we've done this year is the first time we've done it. Uh, we, we went to year-round uh, utilization of the real tub. Beans we have from uh, 20th of May on through June, the cattle are on pasture and they're far flung. There's a lot of, there, we pasture a lot of land on the, on the reservation right here and uh, in northern uh, uh, bush pastures, so they're unsupervised. But uh, when we uh, processed the calves this summer, uh, after having the real tubs out there for the year, we saw clearly a four to five percent increase in our calving percentage. So that's an extra, you know, four percent. That's uh, that's an extra twenty-five calves a year on five hundred and fifty or so cows. So so that. Uh, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't maybe attribute it a hundred percent to the tubs, but I, they definitely contributed considerably to it. We like it on the corn. Uh, if you, uh, we didn't have to because the, the cows are off the corn by the time the calve. But anybody who's going to calve cows uh, after corn, I think I would suggest adding a little uh, limestone in their ration somehow. Uh, but one of the things that I, I, the biggest thing for us, and I, I almost, uh, it's been so good for us that I almost uh, don't want to share it because it might give some guys some good ideas here. But what, when um, I, uh, my uncle is on the Saskatchewan side of the border over here, just north of Onion Lake, he had a pretty good sized ranch there, but he also had a huge Saskatchewan lease. He had over three townships. Of forestry lease and agricultural lease. My next door neighbor was a little bit north and east of him, and his pasture was four miles by five miles. So that's uh, that, that's not near as big as my uncle's. But uh, I did some riding for them, and then later on, my son rode some rounding up in the fall. My uncle's cattle came home much easier than my neighbor's. And, uh, you know, on occasion, uh, we'd fly. You know, we'd just have to fly that country because there's no roads and, and to look for cattle. And uh, I always looked uh, kind of, there was what we called Grassy Lake. It was a six mile by, I don't know, two or three miles, just a big, flat, grassy plain of slewgrass, worthless slewgrass, which a lot of the people around here would call it. And uh, during the, the drought years, and uh, it, it culminated in the severest drought in 02, wasn't much feed around and straw was hard to get. And I, I, I called my uncle up and uh, I asked him, I said, uh, I hear the Saskatchewan's allowing the hay and permits on those leases. You think I could go up there and cut that hay? And he said, well, sure you could. 
But he says, what do you want to do that for? He said, why don't you just take the cows up? <laughs> I didn't either. I didn't hay it. I didn't take the cows up. Uh, we managed to find enough feed to get through. But here again, um, not many years ago, we had a dry summer as straw was hard to get. Uh, we feed our cows straw and grain, and we were short of straw. And um, we had about 110 or 20 acre muskeg up in the, one of our pastures that the cows didn't utilize. Uh, there'd always be three or four or five inches of water on it all summer. In the dry times, therefore, they, they grazed it, but the, the water table would come back up. And uh, I said, let's take some, we cut out uh, 50 or 60 of our fattest cows and we stuck them on that sluggrass. They had a good shelter in one corner. There was a big stand of mature spruce, and you know, we could go in there under the spruce trees on the pine needles and bed down. We threw some uh, real tubs out there. We went up every other day with, uh, you know, eight or 10 pounds of grain per cow. And those cows did real well. But what really made the difference to me was we preg checked and we had uh, seven, six or seven young three or four year old cows that were dry. Uh, they were thinner. They weren't real skinny, but they were thin. So I said, they've got lots of time to rest. They're not, you know, I could have sold them, but I thought uh, they're as cheap as a yearling heifer. We took them up there, and, and uh, those cattle gained weight, eating this so-called worthless sluggrass, uh, a real tub, and a little bit of grain. So um, that really uh, cinched me on the real tubs. They, they definitely do help the cattle utilize. They break down the lignum. Uh, they can use forages that... Uh, uh, otherwise, are 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 as useful, um, but you know, I uh, I think the bottom line thing and the soil health is very important. Um, when we uh, introduce uh, uh, you know outside things into our cattle and into our soil, we might upset some of this nat uh, natural cycle. Um, what else was I going to put here now? Uh, we. Uh, you know that we we used it first year this year through the breeding cycle, and we have preg checks. So I don't know how that's going to work, but uh, no, we're happy with real. Um, we we uh, I struggle a little bit with big tubs. My son built a real good instrument for picking them tubs up, and uh, it really works. It's simple, uh, and that makes it uh, so we're able to keep the tubs in front of the cows a little better. I don't know that I could add a whole lot more, Vanessa. Um. <laughs> well, Ed, I really enjoyed the story that you shared. Now, right at the end here, you just mentioned your uh, instrument to pick the tubs up that Cameron designed. And uh, would you share with us what what you utilize on your ranch already to move those tubs around? Well, he uh, it's a very simple little instrument that he built uh, uh, it's just two little jaws, and he's got two swivel points so that when it lifts up, they grab the tub. They don't need a lip or anything. They'll just grab it, and the, and the upward pull squeezes the bottom of the tub. Uh, and uh, he stuck a, a bar across uh, our hydrodeck uh, arms, and uh, he's got a clevis and a chain, and uh, throws them up and off of the deck uh, very simply. Any lifting device would work with it. But he uses it with the uh, with the uh, hydrodeck. Rick up there at St. Paul took one home, and he was gonna. He said, "I'll sell these." He said, "These are these are 
he was very impressed. He watched the day, watched Cameron do it when uh, he brought some dubs down. So, so yeah, give Rick a ring if you if you're like me and that 250 pound tub uh, is a little heavy for uh, even a young guy. Uh, it, it, they're not very much money. I don't know what Rick's selling them for, but they wouldn't be much money. Um, so uh, yeah, give give Rick a shout. Uh, Cameron is uh, uh, very very skilled that way, and he's farming with me now. He he, uh, so I'm not by myself. Um, we uh, we're working together, and uh, uh, just uh, you know a little further on the soil health thing. You know, uh, uh, some of you maybe have heard of Joel Salatin. Uh, Joel Salatin, uh, uh, I think he's from Virginia, down there in Chesapeake Bay or somewhere. But he writes a lot, and he said uh, the, the uh, bacterial uh, activity in, in, on the rumen of a cow is very closely related to that in the soil. And he said, uh, he said it's almost like when that bacteria is ready to leave the cow, the ones that are further up the, in the digestive tunnels tell the ones about to leave. You know, we, we've got some news here to send to our cousins out there in the, in the soil. So you take this news along and uh, uh, pass along. We're all doing good because we all come in the front end and we're, all, you know, we're all on our way back to the soil. So, so, you know, nature is a wonderful thing, how it works so well for us. And when we can uh, capture it, um, it's like this useless slewgrass. I used to uh, drive back and forth to Edmonton quite a while. I did a, I had a little addiction there. I did a little bit of, uh, county politics and made several trips back and forth to Edmonton and I'd see acres and then the county Beaver County is a big flat open county just this side of Edmonton acres and acres of flat grazed off land and then there'd be huge cracks of this slewgrass worthless slewgrass and then the cows in the corrals on hay and I, I, I often wanted to stop and tell those guys Get some Rio tubs and a few range pellets and kick them out in that slew grass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's but a great idea. There's a lot of it uh, to the north <laughs> and me and to the west. So, anyway, uh, yeah. Well, I'm I'll glad that we've been able to help you utilize your land base and uh, help those cows graze that slew grass that they, they never used to, to hardly touch, or let alone gain on. That's fantastic. Thank you. Now, my neighbor said it was the only time he heard his dad swear. When the uh, migration came north in the dirty 30s, a lot of people starved out of the drylands, came up here. And this grass was dry here, too. And so that was all they had. And uh, some uh, somebody on the radio said that the grass was worthless. It was, was worse and poorer than straw. And my neighbor uh, said that was the only time he heard his dad swear. And uh, he said, that's BS. <laughs> <laughs> enough, enough stories for me, Melissa, or Vanessa. <laughs> well, thanks, Ed. I really appreciate you speaking for us this evening. Well, hopefully you all enjoyed that. We have these free webinars on a monthly basis and would love to have you live to enjoy the entire webinar and ask questions. To get signed up for our upcoming webinars, head on over to reomax.net slash events to get in on our next event. If you're enjoying what we've got to offer on the RioMax Tailgate Talks podcast, I'd encourage you to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. I look forward to next time and you guys have a good one.